happy moment. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Kaiju Groupie podcast. I am your host, Michael, better known as the Kaiju Groupie, and today I have a really fun episode for you guys. I had the pleasure of sitting down with my friend, Nathan Marchand, host of the Monster Island Film Vault podcast. We discussed his love of creative writing and what effect the Kaiju and Toko fandom has had on his career. It was a really fun and candid conversation, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, I need to do a little bit of housekeeping and read some listener feedback that came by way of an Apple podcast review. This review comes from username Captain Travis. The title of the review is Great Concept, Great Host, and the review reads like this. I love the concept for this podcast. It's so nice to hear different people with different perspectives sharing their love and fandom. It's a unique idea that I think will help put some positivity into the world. Worth a listen five stars. Well, thank you so much, Travis, for that very kind feedback. It was much appreciated. If you would like to help out the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, I promise I'll read your review on a following episode. You can also email your feedback to kaijugroupypod at gmail.com. So with that said, Nathan and I will see you after the break. back and with me i have my good friend nathan marchand nathan how are you doing sir i'm doing excellent good sir (laughs) oh it's excellent i think i feel like we've already recorded an entire episode before we even started recording (laughs) we kind of (laughs) did it never fails you and i we have to talk for about 30 minutes before we can do anything productive (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right it's like a warm-up it's like it's like a warm-up i think me and yeah. travis do that oh well, me and travis well, do that you, too let me tell you it's worse on my show <laughs> it is so much i have had nights where i have my guest on my show and we chat for an hour before we start recording what's insane is sometimes i will have already hit the record button <laughs> so there's an hour of fluff before the actual recording <laughs> Oh, man, I don't know if I'll be able I don't know if I'm going to be brave enough to release the fluff that we talked about before. Oh, I I don't. Trust me, I don't. No, it's fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We didn't talk about anything bad, maybe. Oh, you're talking about our fluff. Okay. Our fluff. Yeah, our fluff. Oh, boy. Okay. It's only fluff that came from the wool of what? A black sheep? I'm just, I'm sorry. I mean, (laughs) Admittedly, black sheep wool is not the prettiest. Uh, you know, it it is it is what it is. Some find black sheep wool to be beautiful. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
but man, I am so excited. I've been looking forward to to this conversation. Although it's not like we don't talk. We talk throughout no, the we week. We talk but, a lot. Uh, I, I, but I've been looking forward to putting our conversation on the record for a long time because I just feel like I feel like that there's a lot that you and I can talk about and kind of riff on uh, for say an hour or so hopefully we can keep it within an hour I don't really? know yet. that's all I get are you sure you can... okay. <laughs> okay well I, I don't know we, I, I don't, I, I have don't to break... know if talking too much is a mental illness but if it is God I hope they never invent a cure for me <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's yeah, not a want... mental illness so much as like mutancy in x-men maybe maybe uh but i i I really don't want to have to break this episode up into like 10 parts so we're gonna we're gonna try to keep this as organized as we possibly can audio listener but no promises um you know so nathan again thank you so much for coming on the show i really really do appreciate it and you know before we get started i want you to take it i want you to take some time however much time you need tell the folks uh a little bit about yourself uh for those who don't know you and tell them about you the work you do and just whatever else you want to riff on. All right. Well, I'm I'm Nathan March, and you didn't mention my last name, so I'll throw that in there. Oh, well, it's sorry. a good, solid French name. But I promise you, I promise, my ancestors were part of the French Resistance. We tried to kick out Hitler. <laughs> At least that's what I like to tell people. <laughs> I have no idea if I had any any family members in the French Resistance. <laughs> but are you still there? I'm still okay. here. Yeah, okay. we're, we're still rolling. Yeah, I don't know. You know how podcasts go sometimes with they, they randomly drop things. But anyway, yeah, uh, I am actually going to be telling you guys some things that normally probably would be reserved for my patrons or any of my guests or fellow podcasters or whatnot, which is I hate to shatter your little worlds, but I don't live and work on Monster Island. <laughs> what? No, wait, hang on, hang on. You mean, you mean you don't, twist. <laughs> you don't, and you don't live on Ogasawara Island? Come I, on, I, man. I do not, unfortunately. <laughs> have, we, have you been giving us the old bait and switch all this time? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'll boy. get to that here in a minute, but... Uh, like I said, I, I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I am a born and raised Hoosier boy, and I'm quite proud of that. The I'm actually, again, residing in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I am a published author, which I know is will be a big thing that we'll be talking about. I went to a private Christian university and studied professional writing because I had aspirations of becoming a novelist, among other things. And I've been able to do that. I now have, oh boy, uh, between my traditionally published stuff and my self-published stuff, I think I've got, I want to say seven books to my name out there in the ether. Okay. Along with, uh, I have two in the, uh, well, actually I have several, but I have one that's about to be published. It's a sword and sorcery novel. And I will be get, uh, getting started on, <laughs> I think, one of, I think, three books that are technically in production for me right now. I've, I'm a very, very busy guy. <laughs> and along with that, the I'm a master's student studying English with a writing concentration here at a local university. 
So I've been at that for about two years, and my goal is to either December or May to finish everything up. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I just have a few more credit hours left. So that's very exciting. And trying to think what else. Well, and you may, a lot of you may remember me from my previous podcast, the Kaiju Vision Radio, which I did with Brian Scherchel. So if you're Mm -hmm. ever curious what I think of Godzilla movies, you go and listen to season one of that show. But it inspired me being on that show and then doing some other work elsewhere on my master's degree and all that really inspired me to start my own podcast. And I'm very glad that I did because <laughs> it's allowed me to meet people like yourself. So that's been wonderful. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, yeah, it's been, it, you have a lot of, you have a lot of irons in the fire as my, as my dad would say. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've got the podcast, I've got the books, and then that's not even including all the stuff that I do in my spare time. I've mentioned it a little bit on my show, but I do things outside of this realm. Like I do gaming, obviously, and I do both tabletop and video games. Uh, I do I do a lot of reading, as you would probably expect. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, I like traveling around. I like visiting different places. It's a little bit a little harder to do that because quarantine sucks. But <laughs> and uh, but one that might surprise a lot of people is I'm a ballroom dancer. I had seen some rumblings on the Internet about that, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't sure if my eyes were deceiving me or not. Yeah, I've been doing that for oh, five and a half years now, almost six. It's fascinating. Yeah. Just really quickly, how did you get started with that? Like ball, ballroom, ball, dancing? Like ballroom dancing? Yeah, ballroom dancing. Yeah, let's, let's go um, into that. It actually, to put it succinctly, it actually got started with my last girlfriend. She was into swing dancing and mm, okay. she had been going with her uh, her cousin, who was one of my college buddies, to uh, essentially a swing dance group big one that met in Grand Rapids, Michigan every week. So she had me go there with her and I caught the bug. And despite the fact that she broke up with me a few months after that, I still had this lingering interest. And then finally, while I was working at my dead end job, that was the only thing I could get during the Great Recession. Before I started grad school, I just got uh, fed up with feeling like, all I did was go to the dead end job and I didn't do anything else. So I decided I'm going to take charge of my social life right now. And I'm going to see if I can find some ballroom dance stuff. So I started looking around and found this wonderful studio in Fort Wayne. I tried to go to another one, but I found out it closed. (laughs) So, but I found this other studio in Fort Wayne, Indiana called the, well, they're now called the Fort Wayne ballroom company. And then I started going there and taking classes and going to their Friday night parties. And it's been great. Okay. I've done several, uh, uh, they do showcases and I've done performances for their showcases. It's been wonderful. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. Now that's, you know, taking up dance lessons, <clears throat> excuse me, taking up dance lessons is something that Lisa and I have always talked about. I just find that really, I just thought that was really fascinating that you are, uh, not only are you a podcaster and author and all things in between, but you're also an accomplished ballroom dancer. Yeah. That's something that's a, co- that's a deadly combination, my friend. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, interesting little connection. You know, here's a little tidbit for you. Did you know that there is a fella who was in a Godzilla movie 
and a and a very well-known Japanese film about ballroom dancing? No, I did not know that. Yeah, the oh, now great. Now I'm going to have to Google this because this is what I do. <laughs> uh, yes, I found it. The Akira Imo, uh, Emoto, who played Akira Yuki in Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Okay, fascinating. Also played a private investigator in Shall We Dance? Hmm. The Japanese version. It got remade a few years later in America with Jennifer Lopez and uh, trying to remember his name now because there's a Japanese prime minister that he looks like. Oh yeah. I think I know this. I think I know what film you're talking about it. I thought I know, I know what film you're talking about, but the name of it escapes me. Uh, I, Cause it's, it's Richard gear, Richard gear. Yeah. There we go. Richard there Gere. we go. Yeah. So the, He's not in the movie a whole lot, but there is a connection. There you go. There's a connection between Toku and ballroom dance. <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love that you know this. I just do. <laughs> I just, I just think, I think it's hilarious that you know this, but in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> well, let uh, me tell you, I remember hearing some people talk about it. And then I actually watched Shall We Dance, the Japanese version. Uh, and I was waiting the whole movie to spot it. I was like, I, I know I'll recognize him as soon as he's on the screen. And lo and behold, right. about an hour into the movie, there he is. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there you are. <laughs> waiting this whole time. And now here you are. <laughs> oh, man. Well, OK. So to get back to get this conversation back on the rails a little bit. You know, because this this podcast is about topics and people within the fandom surrounding kaiju and tokusatsu, I'll ask you first, you know, how did you find yourself so involved in this particular fandom as opposed to others like Star Wars, Marvel and some of the other big ones? Mostly because I don't want Star Wars fans to eat me. <laughs> That's OK. That's because that is fair. And here. All right. A, here you go. Trigger warning for you all right now. I'm one of the 50% of fans who actually likes The Last Jedi and can give legit reasons why it's good. So, but I don't want to deal with that. So, you know, that's kind of one thing. The I am involved with some other fandoms as well. Godzilla and Kaiju is not the only one, although at the moment, because of the podcast, it's probably the one I, it's probably, it is, no, it's not probably, it is the one I'm most involved with right now. So it's really the podcast that did that. I would say, because the, I'm trying to make inroads promoting the podcast. The You and I were talking a little bit beforehand. This is one of our pre-recording chats about one of the things that separates my podcast. Oh, several things, really, that separate my podcast from everything else. But one of them is that I take an academic approach to these movies, which I've noticed over the last year or so has been becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if maybe Kaiju Vision, the, my previous podcast, had something to do with that, or maybe it was riding the wave before everyone else did. I don't know, but the I but I've really appreciated that because there's a lot more going on in these movies than I think people realize, especially yeah. when you're talking about the cultural barriers that are there. That because there are things that we as a modern American audience are not picking up on because we're not the original intended audience for these things. So right. I try to help break down those barriers. 
The other thing that separates my show, and this was not necessarily planned, it just kind of happened, because my my writing method. And here's a little insight into uh, here's a little insight for you. In the writing world, there's generally one of two kinds of writers. You have the outliners and what we call pantsers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> outliners are people who have to outline their entire story before they even start. And they will okay. not stray away from that outline. Then you have pantsers, which is the goofier, <laughs> I guess, or more endearing term for what, what, what are dis- called discovery writers, which is they mm. just start writing. So a famous example of that of someone who did that is very successful would be Stephen King. When Stephen King writes a book, he just starts writing. He, even he doesn't know what's going to happen, which explains a lot of things. <laughs> mm. I am, and I swear I read somewhere that this is how Orson Scott Card, author of such things as Ender's Game, this is how he works, which is that he likes having enough of an outline that he has a general idea of what to do. But if he comes up with something better while he's in those hot throes of creativity, he goes with that. So he gives himself right. enough leeway. So that's generally how I work. I, mm-hmm. I, it's like, I like having a map. It's like the way I like it is that it's like having a map. I know where I'm starting and where I and where I'm trying to get to. And I could take the direct route to get to it. Or if I feel like it, you know, I could take a scenic route, you know. But as long as I'm getting from where I'm starting to where I want to be, that's all that matters. And that's kind of what's happened with the show, because it's a semi audio drama. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as well as being a film discussion podcast, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I remember uh, G-Man, uh, G-Man, Jack Hutchins, who's been on the show, actually. It was on one of my most recent episodes. Yeah, it was a good episode. Uh, yeah, uh, was one of the, another one of my earliest supporters. And he, I, I will never forget, in December, he tweeted out saying that he had started to listen to the show and started listening to it, not thinking that this format would work and then after binging all my episodes, he said, I stand corrected. Listen to his show. I mean, he gave me this amazing endorsement and I got a huge influx of followers on Twitter because of it. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, G-Man likes my show. <laughs> yes. And that's funny because it seems like G-Man doesn't like anybody. Yeah, but he likes me. Not to brag, well, that's, but that's... he likes me. <laughs> I mean, he already wants to be back on the show. He said that on the air. It's like I'm chomping at the bit to come back. But so because the what happened was is I thought, okay, what's an interesting little gimmick I could give to the show? It's like, okay, how about I say I'm actually on Monster Island, you know, like in Destroy All Monsters. I'm thinking specifically of like what you see in Destroy All Monsters, where they have the big mm-hmm. facility there. So I said, how about I say I'm on Monster Island and they they still have the big facility there. And now they have a film curator and they've hired me as the film curator. And that's why I have access to all these movies, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I just thought and I just and then I say, you know, the podcast is also a radio show and I'm doing all of these things. You know, I've got, uh, you know, an, uh, a producer on the show and everything. So I, I was doing all this stuff. And. I just thought, okay, it's a nice little setup. It'll give me opportunities to banter with people and make some jokes here and there, some references, whatever, you know. And if you listen to my very first episode, there are some there's some stuff in there that was just meant to be throwaway lines. 
you know, things like I mentioned, oh, the board of directors on Monster Island and stuff like that. Just meant to be yeah. throwaway lines, but my creative writer brain just can't turn itself off. <laughs> right. And also because I have guests who come on and they say things to kind of play along with the premise. And it just, it kept ballooning to the point where I literally have a storyline going on in the background <laughs> in the show. Now I'm 20 episodes deep. Uh, that's excluding my bonus episode. So it's more like 23, <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm 20 episodes deep now. <laughs> I, there's a there's a storyline going on in the background it is crazy you know because people will come on the show and they will make up ridiculous ways that they got to monster island as opposed to you know i just call them up on skype or they come to my apartment <laughs> you know? well even i have a little bit i've not i've never you, been on your show you even, see that's the I thing have a that's bit. the thing that you were you and travis on kaiju weekly were one of were the first people who started playing along with the meta narrative of MIFV outside the show. It threw me mm-hmm. for a whirl. Like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. I was like, now I have to start integrating things from other podcasts. And not even necessarily other podcasts that I'm on. <laughs> That's the crazy part of this because I've kind of adopted this. Uh, you, know, you should be familiar with this being a pro wrestling fan. The, right. the concept of kayfabe, that's kind of how oh, I yeah. approach the the show. Because the Nathan you hear on the show really is a character in more ways than one. But <laughs> for better or for worse. Yes, but he's he's a character. He's me cranked to 11. That's really right. all it is. And in very weird circumstances. Although one of my friends said it's more like you cranked to 22, but... <laughs> But yeah. you're right. It's it's been a lot of fun. It really has been. I don't even remember what I think it was the I think it was mine and Travis's episode about the the state of the family. Yeah, it was the state I of did, the family. Right. It was the you because at that point you and I had never talked to each other except occasionally on social media. And you found my right. show through the Kaiju Apostle, and you just started listening to it because I guess your thing is just listening to random podcasts. And mm. <laughs> and then you just said, "Hey, you, you want to come on and." With Travis and I, I said, okay, sure. And then it's just like, <laughs> you guys are like my stands now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I should add that to my uh, Twitter bio. Yeah, you should. Uh, my yeah. FV stand. <laughs> yeah, stand for Monster Island Film Ball. <laughs> right, right. Because it was funny because I, what, what, what was the bit that I did? Was it the one where I was on Monster Island and... Well, it was that because the, the setup was I flew back to America to be on you guys' a show. Uh-huh. And... You had we were having audio issues that day with uh, with I think it was Skype or whatever I think it was Skype. Yeah, we're having audio Skype, issues yeah. with Skype on your end. So then Travis made up this thing at while he was editing the episode and then put this at the beginning that said we had audio issues because Michael thought we were going to Monster Island and Nathan came to America so. Michael is on Monster Island, and my producer on the sh- uh, on the show, Jimmy from NASA, has uh, like locked him up in a room and won't let him out. And he had to record from there, so it sounds like he. That's why he sounds like he's in a well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it turned yeah, and into in reality, the, and then it it's turned just into my poor this internet connection. To do. You got into a flame war with Jimmy, and 
I did. I leaned. I leaned really heavy into it. I, I'll be honest with you. I leaned heavier into it than probably what was normal at that moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, like I said, it threw me for a whirl. Like, dude, what? What? <laughs> but I, the one I'm thinking of, and we'll get to the topic. I'm sorry, audio listener. We'll get to the topic in just a second. We're just reminiscing here, so bear with us. Uh, the one I'm thinking of. Is I think it was the one when you guys did Night of the Lepus, and I didn't yes. want to be on the episode because I was taking a little bit of a break. And, it, and I said, "Yeah, that's that's the one." When I sent in the audio recording of me on the west side of the island, yes. and then, yeah, that one, that one. I was fully, I was fully committed, sir. I told you behind the scenes what I was willing to do if it had not been storming that day. I was literally going to go into my backyard, into the tree line, put mud on my face, record myself on my phone, begging for someone to help me because I'm trapped on this island and cannot get Yes, it. That's how committed I was yeah, to the role. Yeah. But uh, to kind of get back to talking about kayfabe, kayfabe is a, was a thing. It's still practiced today in professional wrestling, but not nearly to the extent it was back in, well, before the mid-90s. It started right. to unravel in the mid-90s. But the idea behind kayfabe was that professional wrestlers, once they have made their persona, they never break character. doesn't matter where they go. If they're out in public, they are always in character. You know, Terry Bolia is always Hulk Hogan when he's in public. Okay, he's only ever Terry Bolia when he goes home. That was the idea. Just like Paul Levesque is always Triple H. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like I said, that kind of unraveled. So the way I approached it is that it's something kind of like that, where unless I state otherwise, when you see anything on the podcast social medias, it's me being in character. It's Nathan Marchand, the character. But and then when I go on other podcasts, I'm kind of shattering the illusion a little bit here. The when I go on other podcasts, because you asked me about that the first time he had me on and, you know, he said, are you going to? be in character and i said yeah i'm gonna be in character so but so the idea i came to is that okay if i go on someone else's podcast or anything for that matter because of my show i'm gonna be in character it'll be nathan marchand the character this is an exception to that because this is an interview for me as you know as a member of the fandom and not nathan marchand the character on the show Mm. so the, the so like I said, it's one of the exceptions to the rule, and I may make some other ones depending on the reasons for why I appear on other podcasts and all of that. So that's the the thinking behind it. You know, Nathan, like we mentioned, you know, you have been such a an, a great host of the Monster Island Film Vault, but. You're also a, a published writer and author, and that's sort of the meat of the conversation I want to get into for this mm-hmm. particular episode. Uh, you know, the first couple of questions I want to get into are, you know, what got you into writing and was it always like something you were passionate about? There's a little bit of a story behind this. I think ever since I was a kid, I've always had a bit of a knack for storytelling as a lot of kids do, it's just a very human thing. Humans love to tell stories. But mm. it what I didn't start thinking about it in a more formal context until I was in sixth grade. Just to let all of you know, I was actually homeschooled starting in first grade. Okay. And so I was in sixth grade English and 
for a couple of days one week, all of my lessons were about fanciful stories. That's how the, the book, the textbook termed them, fanciful stories. And then after, at the end of those three days, my assignment in the textbook was to write a fanciful story. So I decided, okay, this could be a little bit of fun. And then I more or less wrote, call it a fan, a, an insane fan fiction disguised as a Toy Story knockoff. <laughs> where I wrote the story where all of my action figures and things came to life and fought each other. Okay. And I enjoyed that so much that I actually kept started writing sequels to it. <laughs> and it turned into this kind of series where if I would get more action figures, I would add them to the cast of characters and things like just kept it going. Then I started discovering things like fan fiction <laughs> on the internet. I even wrote my fair share of fan fiction. Interestingly, a lot of the fan fiction I actually finished was Godzilla fan fiction. Mm -hmm. This was around this time that I discovered Godzilla. Okay. So the, so that's the origin of it. And then as I got later in my high school career, I said, you know what? I enjoy doing this. I actually want to do this as a job. I want this to be my career. So I started looking into universities that offered something like that. And I actually came across one that the, in the local area that offered a professional writing program, which at the time was very unique. So, and couple that with the fact that it was a Christian university, because you know, I probably should have mentioned this a little bit sooner, like yourself, Michael, I'm, I am also a professing Christian. Right. And right. You know, so the fact that it was a Christian university was a great bonus. So I was very excited to go there and I spent four years there learning how to write the, at that point, uh, right before I started college, I had started writing what would become my first novel. I dropped it for a while because of school, but I picked it back up well, for a class while I was in school. And then a few, and then about a year or so after I graduated, I finished my first draft and then began the process of submitting it and the whole publication thing, which is an entire story unto itself because the writing industry is the slowest industry in the universe. And <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard, I, I, I hear it's actually easier to get a movie completed than it is a book published. Yeah. It feels like that at points. Although I did uh, take a screenwriting class while I was in, uh, while I was in, uh, in university. So I've, that was the thing that was nice about the program is that it offered you opportunities to take classes on a wide variety of forms of writing. So I am very well versed and very well trained. I can do a lot of things. Now I had, I tended toward things like fiction writing or feature writing. If you're talking about like, if I worked at a newspaper, I'd say I want to be a feature writer. I love mm. finding interesting stories and interviewing interesting people and writing about right. them and things like that. Uh, I try. I worked as a beat reporter. Uh, it was one of my first post-college jobs, and it just wasn't a very good fit. But whenever I got to write the feature stories for this newspaper, I was just reveling in it. I loved it. Finding interesting people in the local area to talk to or interesting stories about things that are going on in the community. That's where my passion was at the time. I mean, that's super fascinating. I, I, 
uh, I've always been personally interested in writing, but I've just never had, <clears throat> excuse me, I've never had sort of the discipline to sit down and just start. Uh, it's but wonderful, it, but it's hard. I will tell you. Don't yeah. let any writer lie to you and say, oh, it's always fun. No, it's not. <laughs> it just it just came to me in a dream. It just yeah. came to me. I can't. Yeah. I have this and I'm not the only writer who has said this. I have this weird image in my head of, you know, I'm sitting down and I'm trying to write something. And then I type out a sentence or whatever. And the characters are all standing behind me, looking over my shoulder at my screen. And I'll write something and say, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say that. You need to change that. No, I don't want to. You change that now. <laughs> <laughs> so are we getting a glimpse into your own uh, self-editing process? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the same say- is true on the podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> I write the, the the little story bits that go in there and oh, man. <laughs> I think that the uh, I think your background in writing really has done nothing but help your show, because I'll uh, we'll we'll touch on this just really briefly. But I think one I think your format for the Monster Island Phone Ball is probably one of the most unique formats uh, that are out there. And you you're able to you're able to differentiate yourself from the other kaiju uh, podcasts that just do simple just simply review films, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that you're no. I mean, I I love I listen to you and Travis on Kaiju Weekly every week. I love what you guys do. Well, thank you. I really do. Thank you. I will tell you, uh, there's a lot of things that go into a good podcast and hosts that have a great rapport that will. Cover up a multitude of sins. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Me yeah, me, me, and, me and Travis have become really good friends, and I and I hope that that shows on the on our episodes. Oh, it does. Yeah. it really does. Uh, but something you mentioned just now about uh, screenwriters, and I know that typically when we're having these conversations within the fandom, we're talking about films, and specifically Godzilla films, Gamera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'll ask you, are there any screenwriters or just writers in general? It can be from comics, books, just anything in general that has influenced you along the way. There's a lot I could go into with this. I'll try to keep it brief and relatively relevant. That sounded really stupid. Anyway, can you tell I am a writer? I'm editing myself as I talk. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but the... I would be remiss if I didn't bring up people like like my favorite, uh, my two of my favorite authors are Tolkien and Lewis. So they've had a tremendous in, impact not only on me as a creator, but on me as a person. You know, they've influenced my writing and my thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge one. Lord of the Rings is my all time favorite novel, and the you know I've also been influenced by people like Robert Heinlein and. Uh, I mentioned Orson Scott Card. So Orson Scott Card's another one. Mm. In terms of screenwriting, well, and also I should I should bring this up. Another one person who's had a huge impact on me and who is sadly no longer with us is Stan Lee. That was something right. that didn't dawn on me actually until right after he died. I realized that I had consumed much of his material and what he did as a writer had become a huge part of my life. Uh, like Travis, your friend Travis, I am a, a huge fan of comic books. 
And so what Stan did for comic books has been a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I was very glad that I got to meet him when I did, because, you know, it was only about a year and a half after I met him Yeah, and he was finishing up his tour, you know, on conventions. He stopped not long after I met him, but I was very glad that I did. And it's, for me, Stan is an inspiration in not just for what he did, you know, the, the characters he created and the stories he told, but because Stan actually didn't become successful until a lot later in his life. He was almost 40. A lot of people don't know this. His career really took off with the publication of Fantastic Four number one, and he was almost 40 years old when that happened. And it almost didn't happen. He had to really fight to get that story made, to get that book made. And so I admire his tenacity and the fact that, you know, he spent 20 years just working hard at Marvel Comics until he finally got his big break. So all of these people who seem to think that you have to you know, achieve uber success when you're 25 or whatever, they're crazy. Some of the most amazing people who have ever done anything came to it later in life. So that's another thing that's inspirational for me. I think it's a, um, I think it comes down. It's a maturity level. When you reach a certain age, you, you reach a certain, um, you, you reach a certain maturity level where you have lived a good life so far. And that has influenced you in more ways than you can probably imagine. And I just think that at that, at that time, if he, if he became, if he got his start really at 40, then by that time, you know, he had gained a lot of wisdom. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that comes with his age and maturity. And really, honestly, if, uh, if I, there are very few people that I would consider to be national treasures. And I really believe that Stan Lee was one of those national treasures. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And then a couple of other people, you may not necessarily know their names, but they are two of the of the minds behind my all-time favorite movie, which will disappoint might disappoint your listeners because it's not Tokusatsu. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it, it's uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan because another one of my favorite fandoms uh, is Star Trek. In fact, I was a fan of Star Trek well before I had even discovered Godzilla and Tokusatsu. Well, I'm going to be honest. Um, I consider myself more of a Trekker than say a Star Wars enthusiast. I just, I just never, I just never could catch on with the whole, with, with, with Star Wars. I don't know what they're, they're good movies. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and the lore is a lot of fun. It's just, there's something about it that did not necessarily grab, that didn't necessarily grab me. Oh, that's fair. But for me, the worst part of Star Wars is the fans. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but no, uh, those would be because this movie is so ingrained in my head. It has influenced a lot of my writing. I will tell you that every time I, I look back on a, like all of my books and I can see little pieces of this, of Star Trek two showing up in all of them, because that's mm-hmm. just how seminal it was. If it was a Star Trek two, it was something from Star Trek, but the screenwriters behind that, there was a couple, there's several people who were associated with the script for that movie, but one was a guy named, Jack B. Swords, 
I hope, hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. And then also the director, who apparently also worked on the script but was uncredited for such, named Nicholas Meyer. So I owe a lot to them as well. And I would be remiss, I would be very, very remiss if I did not talk about Shinichi Sekizawa and Takeshi Kimura. Because those were Toho's go-to screenwriters during the Showa era. And let me tell you, when I discovered Godzilla as a teenager, I just started eating everything up from that. Mm -hmm. And so what they did, their work, I didn't even know who they were at the time. I had to, I learned all this stuff like four years ago, I think, in doing research on all of this stuff. And I realized, oh my gosh, most of these movies were written just by two guys. That's insane. And then I started digging into who they were. They were very different men, very different men. And I mean, might as well put a link to my panel presentation at G-Fest last year about those two guys you know, with Danny sure. DeManna from the Godzilla Novelization Project. Just so much. But the, their, the work that they did, again, became a huge part of my upbringing and my fandom without me knowing. I didn't know who they were at the time. So I have to bring them up as well. And to be honest, I really do think that, that we were talking about how there's this you know, meta narrative going on in, in uh, I almost said the Marvel Island Film Bowl. What the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> the Monster Island Film Bowl. <laughs> the, I really do think it's very much in the spirit of Sekizawa. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm anywhere close to the writer that Sekizawa was. Right. I don't think anyone can be. But there's definitely a Sekizawa spirit within that. The, mm-hmm. the, the humor and the kind of outlandish stories that are going on in it. Sekizawa was not afraid to be crazy. No, he was not. That. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. And I, I'm gonna call I'm gonna go ahead and call an audible right now. I know this is not in the notes, but it just but we were just sitting here talking about just sort of your influences and it made me think of something I wanted to ask you. And that's if you could rewrite so let's bring it back to the kaiju fandom. If you could rewrite any kaiju film and, and make it in your image which film oh. would it be oh oh i don't know <laughs> i don't want to because i don't want to pick any of the good ones because that might be borderline heresy <laughs> that's why we call it an audible i i just i i happen to think about it and i just wanted to see what your answer would be yeah um oh and danny that's a lot of what kind of a lot of what danny's doing with the, the gnp Mm-hmm. Except it's more like expanding on it and filling in things because it's the Godzilla novelization project. So he's filling in plot holes that are in the films with his novelizations because he refuses to write shallow characters. Well, have fun with Megalon. <laughs> or, or Jet Jaguar for that matter. <laughs> well, the funny thing is Jet Jaguar is on my show now. So <laughs> he occasionally shows up. <laughs> But uh, you know what? Not thinking about it for a second here, I think I would have to go with Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. From 91? From 1991. Okay. Although it's less about rewriting it in my image and more like script doctoring the snot out of it. <laughs> <laughs> because that movie script is 
busted. It is all kinds of busted. I mean, it's a mess. I'm not going to, I'm not, I, I'm a fan of the movie. Ugh. I'm a fan of the movie. I'll admit it. It's one of my favorite Heisei films, but it is a mess. And I know that the, I know Eric and Alex love that movie. They talk about it a lot. Oh, they love it because it's a mess. Yeah. I think that I was going to say, I and think I that's the it. whole reason. I why. get it. I mean, you're talking to someone who refers to Godzilla versus Megalon as a glorious train wreck. And I love every second of that movie, but I also acknowledge this is a terrible movie, <laughs> <laughs> but Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. It's harder for me to give it the pass that I give Megalon because it takes itself so seriously. Very. Oh, they play it. So it takes itself so seriously. Megalon at least knows that it's a cheese fest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ghidorah takes itself very seriously and there are things in this in this movie that i really like like shindo yoshio suchia mm-hmm. brilliant yeah. uh, if i was script doctoring this thing i was like shindo stays shindo's the best part of this movie shindo stays <laughs> you know things like that but i would want to go through i would want to go through kind of comb through it i would probably cut you know at least a couple of characters out I would make Mickey Sagusa more involved. I would actually define her powers and get her to actually use them and not just stand around doing things. The, I would make the, I would try to break down the time travel and figure out how to make it work. The, the whole thing about it being this weird time loop, which is what Toho has been trying to put out to say, Oh, that's why this movie makes sense. I'm like, okay, but it should have been in the movie. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. There might be a problem when the time travel and rebirth of Mothra three makes a bit more sense. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh boy. You talk about a glorious train wreck. Actually, I just put out an episode. By the time this comes out, I will just put out an episode on Rebirth of Mothra 3, and I found myself liking it a heck of a lot more than I thought I would. It's been like 15 years since I had seen it, but it was I would actually say it was legitimately good. Not great, but it managed to eke its way into legitimately good. Beside the point. So I would just want to make sense out of that whole thing. And but and like but things like the politics that are in it. which I know even Mm. now people try to drum up controversy around it with its politics. I'm actually not bothered by it. And I would probably leave those in there because it's an interesting theme to explore. And Mm, it is, it's very much a snapshot. If for all of the movies flaws, that part of it is a very interesting snapshot of Japan at that moment. They were coming out of, this long era of prosperity, they really thought that they they were unstoppable. You know, that they would just keep going. And then right before the movie went into production, they had the asset bubble burst. And it was just this massive recession that just came right on them fast and sudden. And they've never fully recovered from that since. Right. So, you know, it, like I said, it's a fascinating idea. And the fact, and also at the time, because the country was growing so fast economically, there were people in the United States who were honestly afraid of them because they thought that Japan was just going to buy everything. Mm. So there was some animosity there, which is definitely reflected in the fact that we have our villains who are both Westerners right. in that movie. So I would probably leave that alone. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, would I be just you know, like fix, trying to fix everything? And it would. 
so and you probably would, end up like one of those crazy conspiracy theorists with uh, with a, a cork board and lots of thumbtacks and yarn. <laughs> so you would oh, probably yeah. be, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you would probably be one of those that would say that Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is a very anti-American movie. Because I've heard that. Oh, I've heard that. No, no, I don't think it's meant to be anti-American. The director said he's he loves America. Uh-huh. So, and he also wrote the screenplay. I don't think it's, so I don't think it's anti-American, but I think it's playing around with a lot of stuff that was being talked about a lot at that time. Yeah. So, you know, because there's some weirdness going on on both sides. I mean, Shindo is a businessman and has a, built his own private nuclear submarine. That violates all kinds of laws in Japan. But he right, kept it yeah. outside Japanese waters. That was his loophole, you know? So there's, it plays, like I said, it plays around with a lot of really interesting stuff, but I don't think it's anti-American. Not at all. No, it does play around, <clears throat> excuse me. It does play around with some really interesting themes, but that was, I wanted to bring it up because that was one of the, that's one of the critiques of the film that I get, that I hear a lot, along with Shin Godzilla, of course. Where the, what the, you know, Shin, don't get me started on Shin. <laughs> is a very, anti- I love Shin and it's not what people, what no, I shouldn't say. It's not what a lot of people think it is. Right. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think you and I have talked about it that I, neither one of us believe it is a nationalistic movie. It's more of a, a, a it's more of a political satire than anything else. It's a political satire and it's also very patriotic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is literally a whole other podcast. I mean, I did a three hour podcast on that movie. Well, I was one half of a three hour podcast on that movie. So, yes, I'm very well versed. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I I do like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Like I said, it's one of my favorite Heisei films, but I do have it has its issues. Um, I mean, I'm not going to uh, much like I mean, I'm not going to say there is not. I don't think there's a Godzilla movie out there that doesn't have some kind of issue within itself like either a plot hole issue a character issue even king of the monsters which i believe is a fantastic movie and i do as well and there are times i feel like do i have to just appoint myself the fandom's king of the monsters apologist because i feel like that's what i have to be now well you know not necessarily because you have you have the king of the monsters camp and then you have uh the shin camp and then you have the anime camp although the anime camp i feel like is a lot smaller than what it than what it appears, so it's mainly just yeah. I'm an I'm a, I'm a something of an apologist for those too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's mainly just legendary's uh, version of Godzilla, or Shin Godzilla is really the main the big two that people like to fight over. Um, yeah, but I want I do want to make something clear. I, this is a thing that's been coming up a lot in the fandom the last probably. It's been coming up a lot in the last six months, I guess. Sure. Although it was being talked about before that. And that's gatekeeping. I have no desire to be a gatekeeper in this family. Zero. I'm not going to tell somebody you have to look at. You have to agree with me that Godzilla versus King Ghidorah has a busted script. or And that it's not anti-American. Someone could, you know, disagree with me and say, no, I think the script is great and it is anti-American. 
okay, let's talk about it. Sure. I'm not going to tell them they're not a real fan. I'm not going to try to cancel them and get them kicked out. I have no interest in that. None whatsoever. I make this podcast because it's fun and I'm an academic at heart mm-hmm. and I want to share these things. It, I've been noticing over the last few years, there has been this increase in people who are interested in approaching kaiju and tokusatsu from an academic intellectual standpoint. And I think that's wonderful. And I want to keep writing that way because I think that needs to be put out there more. I've gotten really tired of people saying, I like these movies because they're bad. Like, no, most of them are not. Please stop making us all look like idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with you, Nathan. I have no, no desire to be a gatekeeper. I mean, are there aspects of the fandom that I dislike or disagree with? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just part of it. That's just part of it. I I won't bring up Godzilla Mothra shippers. Please don't. (laughs) Please don't. Because if I haven't made that clear enough, I I just don't really, this, Let's just don't. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't have the, the desire to be a gatekeeper either. Uh, the whole reason behind this show is, is to show that I'm not necessarily that I'm not a gatekeeper, honestly, because I want to have one on one conversations with people I agree with and then people I don't necessarily agree with, because I want I feel like we're better if we if we sit down and have those conversations than just adding each other as in like at symbol on Twitter at each yeah. other and yelling and screaming at each other over nonsense. Um, that's not helpful. I don't think. And it's not helpful to try to tell someone how they should watch a movie or how they should view a movie. I just don't think that's very productive. It's more productive to sit down have a one-on-one conversation similar to what we're doing here and find out why you don't like something or why you love something. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, like I know you and I, disagree pretty strongly about the anime trilogy. I like it. I like it a lot. And if I remember correctly, you are not a fan. I am not a fan. I think it's a, you say Megalon is a glorious train wreck. I really honestly think the anime trilogy is a train wreck in itself. Yeah. So I'm sure you and I could, I mean, if we ever wanted to, we could have a nice back and forth. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) On the, on the anime trilogy. And I would welcome that so long as it's, I can't believe I have to say this. Let's keep it civil. Like, come on, we're not talking about political issues right. here yeah. that, you know, determine who somebody votes for in November. We're talking about movies, but it's it's been so conflated. Yeah. <laughs> People take a criticism of a movie of their, you know, of a movie they like as an attack upon themselves. And that's that's a whole other issue unto itself. But, you know, that's but, but my point is. Let's have a conversation. That's what I would say. Let's have a conversation. Mm. Why don't you like the anime trilogy? Well, why do you like the anime trilogy? Here's why, you know, and just have a have a productive conversation about it. My gosh, who knows? We might actually change each other's minds a little. Maybe. I mean, my goal, and I've, I'm yet to do it, and it's something that I'm going to do eventually when I have an extra bit of, when I have an all day of nothing else to do, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch all three in order at one time, because as you have said before, even I think on even your show or even our show or yeah. on our show or yeah. something, I've heard you say it. If you take them as a whole, it's better than taking them individually. 
Yeah, they don't work as standalone movies, which is their strength and their weakness. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily like them is because I've seen them all individually, but I've seen them all individually very spread out from each other. So I need to sit down and watch them in succession one after another to get the full story. And it it may change my mind. I am very open to having my mind changed. Yeah. I think of it like this for the, I did an episode on the anime trilogy. It's episode three. Mm-hmm. You want show notes. I remember there you that. Go. I remember that. that too. And for that episode, I blocked out an entire evening and I binged all three on Netflix, one right after the other to see if that actually changed my viewing experience. Now, keep in mind, I like them before I went into this, mm-hmm. but when I experienced that whole saga over the course of about four and a half hours, all running it together, it was a different experience. It felt complete. It was essentially a four and a half hour movie that got released in chunks. Mm-hmm. And because none of the, those first two chunks were not particularly satisfying because they were not self-contained stories. Right. I think that's where a lot of the ire came from for a lot of fans. And then when they did get the, the conclusion, it wasn't really what they wanted. So, so that just amplified things. But when you, like I said, it's a different experience when you watch all of them together. Yeah, I I guarantee it is. I guarantee it is because like I said, I've only seen them individually and very spread out from each other. Like I'll, I watched Planet of the Monsters one month, wait a month, watch the second one, wait a month, watch the third one. It's just because I I didn't have time to sit down and watch them all. Um, but I think I even watched the first two as they came out and then watched the third one much, much later and without actually refreshing my memory on the first two. So, again, I'm going to have to sit down and just watch them all together and, and see if that changes my mind. I'm a little bit I'll be honest with you. I'm and this is going to make me sound like a gatekeeper there for just a hot second. I'm a little bit more forgiving of, say, the Ultraman anime on Netflix than I am the Godzilla anime. And, and, I, and I've not necessarily figured out why yet. And the only summation that I can come up with that I can come up with is <clears throat> that maybe since I'm still on what I call my ultra journey, because I'm just now I am as well. I'm just now discovering Ultraman. I'm just now getting accustomed to the lore and everything associated with it, that I'm willing to go in with eyes unclouded as Rob so so eloquently put it during the last quarantine. Oh, uh, boy, were our eyes unclouded by the end of that weekend. But I'm willing to go into that, or I was willing to go into that because I binged it all in one evening. Um, I, I was willing to go into that with sort of an open mind, whereas, you know, the Godzilla anime trilogy, I was excited to watch it. And then I was disappointed. And then I was disappointed. And then I was further disappointed because I feel like we got the old bait and switch with uh, city on the edge battle. And- okay. That I, I will give people a, a concession for that because that was mismarketed. Mm-hmm. That was on Toho. They mismarketed it. And then, you know, although some uh, like part three, like some of the uh, religious aspects of it were fascinating. I just there was just something about that particular uh, part 
that just didn't grab me. And I don't know if it was just the space noodle King Ghidorah um, <laughs> or or what it was. I just there was just something that just very was just very unsettling to me about that third part. And I've not been able to figure out why. So long story short, I'm going to have to just sit down and watch it again just to see if my opinion is going to change about it. Mm. So, you know, before we wrap this up, Nathan, and since we're we want since I want to kind of stay on the topic of you being an author uh, and so much else, but mainly this conversation is about you being an author and, a sc- and just a screenwriter in your own right or just a writer in general. Let's just say that a yeah. writer in a creative writer. Yeah. In general. I've written screenplays just so you know, I have written screenplays. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I know that. I think you told me that uh, one of the last conver- one of the last private conversations we had you, you, i think you let mm-hmm. me know that it was actually i think it was right before i invited you to come on this show and told you yeah. what the topic was but mm-hmm. um normally i would ask you what are you binging so i'm gonna kind of niche down just a little bit and say what are you reading right now or and are there any sort of good book comics magazine whatever <laughs> recommendations you want to make to the listeners it's at a point like this where i i feel like i need that gif of thanos saying Everything. Because <laughs> I'm looking over at my bedstand now and I just see a pair of towers of books waiting to be read. <laughs> and that's, don't even get me started about the, you know, the gobs of comics that I have that need mm-hmm. to be read and the you don't want to see my Netflix queue or any of my streaming service queues because they go on for miles. Right. <laughs> but the the books I am re- reading currently are uh, maybe she's related to you. I don't know. But uh, one is Mythology by Edith Ham- by Edith Hamilton. Uh, no relation. Okay, <laughs> that's unfortunate. But no, and that's a collection of. Greek myths, though it it kind of distilled down to their essentials. Okay. So this has been very fun because I'm reading it right now because I'm working on a, I'm planning to work on a novel, I should say, that will deal with Greek mythology characters. As a Harryhausen fan, I probably would love that. Well, it won't be quite that huge and epic, I will. Well, I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I am also, and I should have finished this a long time ago, but I keep going through it a little too slower. I get interrupted by things like grad school. <laughs> oh, just little stuff like grad school. Yeah, it's yeah no little things deal. like grad school. But uh, I have Action Comics 80 Years of Superman. Oh, okay. Which was this massive graphic novel that got put out two years ago now the, for the 80th anniversary. Uh, yeah, 80th anniversary of Superman. And it's a collection of about, oh, I don't know how many issues, but the, spanning the entire history of the character uh, and action comics, all these wonderful reprints. So I'm delving into some a lot of its classic stuff that I didn't know about. There's even a, a story in here that had been that was written and drawn by the original creators of Superman, okay. Simon and Schuster, and that was thought lost for years and then somebody found it. And so it got printed for the first time in this book. So because, as I mentioned, I'm a I'm a comics fan as well. And Superman's one of my favorite characters. Well, that makes a lot of sense, you know, judging from your Facebook profile picture. <laughs> well, that was one of them. 
<laughs> you know, me in my Superman costume doing uh, one of my dance performances. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, it was just this big amalgamation of all the things about all things Marchand right there. It was the, uh, yeah, to, the, to, the, the full Marchand. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, I was confessing. I was wait. I was going to hope for, I was hoping for an opportunity at the beginning, when you introduced me about how, yes, I'm now going to do the full march end on myself, and that sounds an awful lot of context. Anyway, moving on. I tell you what, the epi- <laughs> the name of this, ep- the title of this episode is going to be the full march end. I was also going to suggest that should be the title of the piece, but no. And then one more book I'll, re- I'll mention. Sure. Uh, I need to actually pick it back up. I was reading it a lot for school, but I actually do want to go through and finish the whole thing. I took a poetry writing class. Oh, okay. Last semester. And I have a book here called Making Certain It Goes On. It's a collection of poems by a guy named Richard Hugo. So who was actually one of my favorite poets from that class and from a previous poetry class I had taken. So uh, I'm a diverse man. And in terms of what am I binging right now in the traditional sense, (laughs) the... Uh, currently those, uh, there's a lot that I could mention. I'll just mention a few, the, sure. like you, I'm on my ultra journey Okay. and I am currently on Ultraman Ace. I'm a few oh, episodes into good. Ultraman Ace. What episode are you on? Just out of curiosity. Uh, today I just watched episode three, so it's not, I'm not very far into it. Oh but you... my gosh, I am so happy they changed the uniforms. You have so oh. much to look forward to my friend. I know. I'm just saying I, I get that, but I'm just like, my gosh, am I glad they changed the uniforms because I hated the uniforms for the science team in that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For those first two episodes, they looked awful. These like these bleached out pinkish oranges. Yeah, and, yeah. And the really light grays. I'm like, you look terrible. Oh, the uniforms in the previous ones are so much better. And then in this episode, they made them the burnt orange. And they darken the grays. They're like, okay, thank God you are not eyesores anymore. I don't know if I could survive 52 episodes of looking at your terrible uniforms. <laughs> That's a long one. I'm about halfway through it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, a long So, series. there's that. And the what the thing, I probably would have finished it sooner, but, but my roommate here at the apartment is my brother, Jared, my younger brother, Jared. Sure. And it was funny. Right before quarantine, I got Ultra 7. So I decided, you know, I'm going to start watching Ultra 7. And my brother, Jared, saw that I had Ultra 7. He's like, oh, you have this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I want to watch it with you. Okay. <laughs> and he had watched the original Ultraman with me already from a few years ago when I bought the, the first DVD set. So he said he wanted to watch Ultra 7 with me, which just surprised me a little bit. And then it became our thing. We just kept watching Ultra shows together. I finished Ultra 7, although I know you're a fan of Ultra 7. Uh, you know, it it, it 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 grew on me eventually, like toward the end of well, the series. But the, the problem that Ultra 7 has is that its highs are really high and its lows. lows are, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and because of that, its lows look lower by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> the valleys look deeper because the its mountains are really tall. Yeah, I think that's something that you and I have talked about privately. It's just you, yeah. you have your favorite episodes that are written by very specific screenwriters. And those are the really high ones. And then the rest just kind of pales in comparison. Yeah. 
But uh, and that, so there's that. And uh, on Netflix, I'm going through Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, it's I been a little bit of a yet. slow process. Yeah, that's been a little bit of a slow process. But I, I think I have about a 12 episodes left to go. Okay. I think on that one. And you know, as someone who's been a huge fan of Monty Python and the Holy Grail and things like that, watching the TV show where they all got their start, it's been very fun. And I love how unabashedly and politically incorrect they are. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, no one would even think of doing this now. <laughs> do you think, do you think any of those movies could be remade today? Shot for shot? Oh, heck no. <laughs> Maybe Holy Grail. I think they might be able to do Holy Grail. Yeah, but, but the still TV have... show, the TV show, no, there, there are sketches in the TV show. No one would ever touch. Yeah, you, you <laughs> would, you would still have to rewrite Holy Grail a little bit to be, to be a little bit more politically correct, and at least in this, at least in this climate, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and, and don't get me started on Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks's movies, oh my gosh, no one would make Blazing Saddles now. Oh <laughs> no, sir, they would not. And I, I really like Blazing Saddles. In fact, I. I I don't even think that uh, you could even remake Airplane or Airplane 2 at this point either. Yeah, yeah, probably not. But and then along with that, that's not necessarily binging in the traditional sense. Right. But, uh, but the current shows that I am keeping up with now or catching up with, I should say, would be the, the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Ultraman Z. I don't care what they say on the show. I'm a dirty, dirty American. It's <laughs> Ultraman Z. The rest of the world calls that letter Z, but here in America, <laughs> we call it Z. I thought it was Z, oh. not like I thought it was Z. It's Z or Z. You know, it's that's the name of the letter. Like the Brits call it Z or Z. I think on the sh- on ultra on this Ultraman show they say Z, which is a little yeah. They go um, they call it they say Zeto or something. Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah. the way it's the way it's um, said is a little bit it's a little weird. Uh, yeah, but it's actually supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's just a letter. It's just Ultraman Z. Z. But so he's Ultraman Z to me. I don't care what anyone says. I even put a poll up on Twitter. It's like, how do you actually say his name? <laughs> what have you thought? Just really quickly, what have what what have you thought about the show so far? The the first episode was a little rough, and by that I mean it was just it was just nothing but action. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to latch onto these characters. I felt the same way about Ultraman Ace as well. It's just nonstop action. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, can I have anything with the characters? <laughs> I need characters to latch onto. But I keep forgetting that that's, it's how a lot of these Japanese TV shows, whether they're live action or anime, it's just kind of how they work. The first episode throws you into the middle of everything. Yeah. So you kind of have to, they show you the world by putting you into the middle of chaos mm. And then in the next episode, they explain things like the characters and such to you, which made me glad because the next episodes actually started fleshing things out a bit more and it made more sense. I still don't understand how there is a human woman who is in love with Ultraman just because he's 4,000 years old or whatever. That's a little weird. But (laughs) But But other than that, uh, this is... The mo- this is the current Ultra show, and I haven't seen a lot of the newer Ultra shows, and I know a lot of them have been, as one person put it, toyetic. And yeah, it's this one's a little bit toyetic as well, but 
props at yeah. points look like toys, yeah. like the toys you could actually go buy. And I'm like, really, guys, we're doing this? <sighs> okay. But I will admit. It's effective. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is, but and I will say the the show has managed to suck me in enough that it doesn't register with me nearly as much that they're using literal toys as props. Yeah, yeah. It, so it's it's, it's interesting because even because I'm not used to commercials and ads. I'll be honest. We cut the cable. We cut our cable off. Geez, two years ago. And to walk, to sit down and, and I'm used to YouTube ads. That's not what I'm talking about here, but to see random product placement in the middle of these episodes is a little bit jarring, but I understand, you know, Bandai and, and those companies there, they're all about getting the kids excited about the, the gear that's in this show. And like you said, you know, they're obviously using what appears to be the actual toy as their prop, which sort of makes sense. It's good marketing. Yeah, and I will admit the the show's made enough of an impression on me that I actually thought again, funny thing I thought about doing when you introduced me. I actually thought about starting off by saying, "I ask you to chant my name," <laughs> <laughs> because that's one of Ultraman Z's catchphrases at this point. Uh, yeah, for sure. So before before we get out of here. Nathan, I'm going to ask you, do you have anything you want to plug? So I want to give you the opportunity to, to plug whatever and and whoever or what, you know, just whatever you want to plug in this moment. Go ahead and, and go for it, man. My friend, you don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> the oh, man, oh, since we're talking about the author stuff, my author website is NathanJSMarchand.com. You can find I blog there. Not as much as I used to, but I blog there and you can find links to where you can buy my books and all kinds of things. And I put up updates there about appearances I'm making, where I'm going to be, book signings, all that sort of stuff. And yes, JS is my two middle initials. I have two middle names and I had to use that because the domain NathanMarchand.com was already taken. I'm going to find that. <laughs> We're going to have a talk. <laughs> going to knock on his door and say, I want your domain. Anyway. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My uh, my uh, my author Twitter is uh, at Nathan Marchand, and you can search out my professional Facebook page for my author stuff, which is uh, the Worlds of Nathan Marchand. So there's all that for the podcast. It's the Monster Island Film Vault. You can f- the the website for that is MonsterIslandFilmVault.com, and then. Where the podcast is on multiple social medias, <laughs> uh, on Twitter we're at the Monster Isla One, or you could also follow my intrepid producer at NASA Jimmy, and then the we're on Facebook at Monster Island Film Vault, uh, Instagram we're Monster Island Film Vault, and then I would much appreciate any support your listeners could give me on Patreon. I just launched the Patreon for the podcast about a month ago, a mm. month and a half ago, somewhere in that vicinity. We have a few patrons right now. I'd love to have more. You can find us by searching Monster Island Film Vault, I would guess. <laughs> okay. Oh, and you're also going to be on a panel coming up, correct? Yes. The Since G-Fest was canceled this year, I was scheduled to have a couple of panels, one of which would have was going to be with Danny DeManna, uh, you know the creator of the Godzilla novelization project uh, but we are going to do that panel now this weekend as part of Kaiju Con Line so it's uh, one of I found out that there's actually several 
online cons being put on to fill in the gap left by G-Fest. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them, the Kyle Gount, the granddaddy of all kaiju podcasters. I like to call him the godfather. Yes, the godfather. He's going to make us an offer we can't refuse, but which was due to be on Kaiju Online. But <laughs> so we'll, he and I, Danny and I, will be doing a presentation on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I want to say. It's 1 p.m. Central, if I remember correctly. Check the, the website for Kaiju Online to get the schedule for it, just in case. Yeah. I might be wrong. So there's that. And we are going to be talking. Our, pan, our panel is going to be on, we're calling it uh, the, uh, what was it? the Original MCU Connecting Showa Continuity. So we're oh. going to be going through a bunch of Toho's Showa era Kaiju and Tokusatsu films and determining if all of them are actually in canon with each other and how, if they are, how we can make sense of it. That's there are a few movies I will tell you that we left out because they just genuinely don't work. But, you know, for the ones that we are including, we're going to go do deep dives to connect all the threads. Well, I'm not going to ask you here what those films are because I don't want to to give it away. So what, the ones that were left out? No, the ones that you've included. Oh, there's too many to mention. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into that here. I want, you know, audio listener, please go check it out. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic panel. Um, it's just a shame that G fest was canceled, but you know, all these, all these great podcasts and other creatives within the fandom are just doing what they can to put on what I think is going to be just a, a fantastic replacement. I hope, and it sounds like uh, if everything goes well, it may be a, a yearly thing. So that's something to look forward to. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So man, I just want to thank you again for, for coming on the show, uh, helping out a, a brand new podcast by just having this conversation, which I hope the audio listeners enjoy. I'm not even a year old, man. So I'm still kind of (laughs) brand spanking new too. So yeah, well, you know, we, we all try to help each other. We all try to help each other out. And, uh, honestly, this conversation was not any different than what we would have in private. So that's just, that just makes it any, that just makes it actually even better. So before I get out of here, I just want to say thank you again, Nathan. And I guess I will see you guys next time. Sayonara. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Groupie podcast, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton using redcircle.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more, please email me directly at kaijugroupypod at gmail.com. Also, follow us on social media by joining the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, on Twitter at kaijugroupie54, and on Instagram at thekaijugroupie. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite giant monster podcasts. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the show. This will help spread the word to other kaiju and tokusatsu fans, and if you do, I promise I will read your comments on the next episode. All film, audio clips, and graphics belong to their respective copyright holders with no infringement being intended or implied. So until next time, I'm Michael, the Kaiju Groupie, signing off.